0: Father in heaven, teach us good judgment and knowledge, for we believe in your commandments. You are good and you do good. Teach us your statutes, so that we may keep your precepts with our whole hearts, delight in your law, and learn your will in Christ. So hear us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in Matthew's gospel to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and I want to read together a section about Jesus praying with the disciples in Gethsemane prior to his crucifixion. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to begin our reading at verse 36 and read through verse 41. Matthew chapter 26, beginning our reading at verse 36, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Thus far, the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, A passage that reminds us of our weakness. Um, Even in the face of our Lord's request for prayer, his disciples cannot stay awake with him one hour to help him in his time of need, um, it's a remember a reminder that even in the midst of his own suffering and difficulty, our Lord remained a teacher for his disciples um, and told them to pray so that they would not enter into temptation. Uh, we come this evening to the end of our study in the Catechism, the end of our study of the Lord's Prayer, thinking about the conclude the concluding uh, petition of the Lord's Prayer, the last petition. Uh, the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, and the important little word that ends our prayers. Uh, So there's a lot to learn and to study in this last Lord's Day, um, but all of it, I think, ties together nicely. Um, And so we want to think about the the last part of the Lord's Prayer in those kind of three parts. The sixth petition, which is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, The conclusion of the prayer that reminds us, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And that last little word that ends the prayer, amen. Um, all of those parts are important. Um, and I think really if we look at those strands and, and look at the, the message that runs together through this last Lord's Day and the conclusion of the prayer, um, we can see that it, it reminds us of our weakness and of our God's strength. Uh, we need help in this life. We need help to avoid temptation. We need help to be delivered from evil, It reminds us of the great weakness that we have and reminds us of our God's great strength. Um, his is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. Um, and so that's how I want to think about this passage together, really in s- sort of three simple points. We are weak. Our enemies are strong. But God is stronger than our weakness and our enemies. Um, simple, but profound truths that we need to know and believe and and meditate on in our hearts. We are weak, our enemies are strong, um, but our God is stronger than our weakness and our enemies. And that's the hope that we end this prayer with. Um, I hope it's not a hard sell this evening to tell you that we are weak. Um, this is a wonderful reminder of just how how weak we are Um we don't really understand our need. Um, I don't think we understand our help. It's, um, there, there's much to meditate on in this last in this section of Scripture that we looked at from Jesus' last hours before his arrest, before his betrayal. Um, I think it's amazing to think about the fact that our Lord, who, who was perfectly able and capable in and of himself to withstand the temptations that he faced, uh, that was true before he faced them, and certainly we can say that's true in seeing how he he saw them through and was a champion and a conqueror. Um, but it's remarkable to me that in his his hour of need, he takes his friends and says to them, "Would you pray for me?" Um, because his soul is sorrowful, um, his soul is troubled. Um, He's going to face extreme difficulties and the the most trying time of his life. And in that moment, he asks his disciples to pray with him, to pray for him. Um, Jesus is remarkably aware of the power of prayer, isn't he? Um, and, And even in his humanity, where he still had needs. I think sometimes we think, you know, we shouldn't ask for help. We should be sort of strong enough to see ourselves through. And it's an amazing thing to say that Jesus would ask for prayer. Certainly if Jesus asked for prayer, it can't be wrong for us to ask for prayer. Now that we have times where we are in need, and especially when we find ourselves assaulted by um, enemies in our weakness, I think normally if we think about the weakness of this passage, maybe we don't immediately go to, to think even about Jesus expressing a need for help in this moment from his friends for their prayers on his behalf. Uh, we think mostly of their weakness that they couldn't watch and pray with him for an hour. Um, that they can't watch and pray with him without falling asleep. Uh, and then after if him asking them for help comes back to find them um, asleep. And maybe in in the weakness that we see in this passage, our our minds and hearts go to think about Peter's weakness in particular. Um, That Peter was one who was expressing his willingness to to stand for the Lord. Um, Had just, you know, a verse earlier said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Um, He's so bold for what he'll do for the Lord, but he can't pray for him for an hour. Um, he can't watch and pray for him. And, you know, we. I think we can say that sometimes we can be tempted to look at Peter's life and say, you know, there's a lot of talk there, not a lot of action. Um, but that would be wrong, wouldn't it? I mean, Peter's life is not a life just of talk and no action. When when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter is the one who tries to protect him by force in John's gospel. It's a foolish thing to do. And Jesus says to him, "I if I needed, if I wanted to resist by force... I have enough force at my command to resist. Um, I can call for angels, armies of angels to come and fight for me if fighting is what I wanted to do. Um, As a matter of fact, all Jesus needs is the weapon of his mouth when they come to arrest him. Because when he says, Who do you seek? and they say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am he, or actually, just in the Greek, he says, I am. They all fall down. Um, He doesn't need help. He doesn't need protection in that way uh, from Peter. So Peter's not all talk, but we see Peter's weakness here. Peter can't watch and pray for an hour. Um, And and Jesus explains that weakness, that our spirits are often willing, but our flesh is weak. Um, And in that weakness, Peter is reminded that we need prayer all the more when we meditate on our weakness. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, we we find that ourselves, don't we, when we, we think about the things that tempt us and that lead us into temptation and the ways that we stumble and fall. We can be an awful lot like Peter and say, We well, you know, I'm sure, Lord, that when that moment comes I won't deny you. But when the moment of temptation is upon us, when we are tempted and the evil is put before us, so often our resolve fails and we find that our spirit may have been willing, but our flesh is weak. Um, We find ourselves in that same lamentable condition that Paul talked about when he said, "You know, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Um, there's that difficulty that we have to wrestle with, our, our weakness. And the, the catechism reminds us that when it comes to asking for God's help to avoid temptation, we have to meditate first on just how much we need to be protected from evil. Uh, because we are weak. Uh, it's, a, it's a pointed way of talking about our weakness in question 127. Uh, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil means we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. Um, and that, that should immediately come to mind if we think about the image Peter uses of the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. I remember being at, being at the zoo and, and seeing a little, little kid up against the glass at the wild animal park looking at the lion's. Um, and, you know, I like looking at the lions through the glass, but I'm hoping that the glass is, you know, that somebody's tested this stuff to make sure, you know, that lions can't get through it. Um, But as we're looking at this, one of the little kids said, open the window, mommy, open the window. Um, And I thought, I hope nobody listens to this child and opens the window, because if we're in with the lions, that's not going to go well for us. We don't stand much of a chance against lions, if you've ever gone and seen that exhibit and been standing close to the window when the lion walks by, you never feel more like lunch in your whole life. And you know that you would be no match for that animal on the other side. Um, And and that's the image that Scripture gives us. What chance would we stand against a lion Um, if if we met it in the world, just alone and unarmed? um, We wouldn't stand much of a chance at all. And evil is out there, seeking someone to devour. That's the message, right? Um, And if we tried to face evil in our own strength, it would do to us what a lion in the wild would do to us. Tear us to pieces. There wouldn't be anything left. We're too weak to withstand temptation, even for a moment. Um, And we have to make sure we understand that. That he who thinks he stands takes heed lest he falls. The we who think we're so strong in the face of temptation might really realize that we're actually very weak. Um, that in of itself is not a good thing to recognize that we are weak. It's made all the worse when we recognize that we are weak but our enemies are really strong. Um, that, that's the double problem that we have. We are weak and we have strong enemies. That's what question 127 goes on to say. Our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. We have enemies in this world, and our enemies are deadly. As, as one Reformed theologian put it, those enemies are stern and fierce, cunning and wicked. They labor to take from us all our wealth, the robe of righteousness, the ornament of the divine image, the union of faith, the inheritance of salvation, in short, the very life of the soul. Um, our enemies won't be satisfied until they kill us. Until they kill us, body and soul. Uh, they're deadly enemies they face. They mean to kill our souls at any cost. And they're not just deadly, they're relentless. Right? When do they stop attacking us? What does the catechism say? Never. They never stop. Our enemies are deadly, but they're also relentless. They never cease to assail us in this life. Um, one commentator pointed to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8. That was an interesting place to appeal. If you don't know it by heart, I'm going to share it with you. Um, on the off chance you haven't memorized Ecclesiastes 8, 8. Um, but the, the saying there is, there is no discharge in this war. There is no discharge in this war. We are in spiritual warfare and there's no being discharged from it. Right? Think about you know, soldiers that you read about in World War II. If, and when they're fighting, and they know they're going to be fighting until the war is over. Right? If you ask them, when will you get to go home? They would say, when the war is over. And and when will the war be over? Either when they win or when we win. right? There's no discharge in this war. There's no no option for just going home from the spiritual warfare. There's no no Switzerland to go to in this world. Um, There's there's no neutral place to be. Um, This is a war that requires conquest or death. They'll never stop attacking us. Um, And so the only choices are really that our enemies give us is that either we die or they die. Uh, Spiritual warfare is a kill or be killed matter. Our enemies are strong, they're deadly, they will never stop attacking us. Um, We we are in a war whether we want to be or not. Um, We are weak, our enemies are strong. Um, and I think the best picture of this prom- problem was given uh, to, to us by Hermann Vitzius, a great Reformed scholar. We, we have all these, these strong enemies. We've got the world, we've got the, our, the devil, we've got our own flesh that are at war with us. And I, I think often about the picture he paints. He says, what, what does Scripture say about the Christian life, the way that leads to salvation? He says, the road in which we have to travel is narrow. And we are not permitted to depart from it to the right hand or to the left. Okay, so he starts with this picture. We're on a very narrow road and we can't turn from it. We have to walk this narrow road. He said, and that road is beset on every hand by numerous foes who at almost every step have spread and concealed their snares. On this side, Satan presses us hard with all his infernal forces, and on that, the world surrounds us with its toils. Within, the flesh pursues us, and you can scarce plant your foot on a spot that is not entangled with nets. Our enemies have learned to weave those nets out of nearly every kind of material, not only from those things which in their very nature are evil but also from what are indifferent and unlawful, and even from such as are positively good, but which are easily but dangerously abused. Almost everything that happens in the world after sin has begun to exert its power possesses some charm by which you are fascinated before you are aware. In short, wherever you go, either a snake lurks in the grass or you walk over fires concealed from your view by the ashes which cover them. And we carry about within us something which maintains a secret conspiracy with our outward foes. We have the sin that does easily beset us, a strong propensity to do what is evil, a law of sin which dwells in our members, the fuel of all evil, which needs but a spark to make it burst into flame. Think we're in a dangerous condition in this world. We're pressed in on two sides by enemies, and we carry around a traitor within us. It's almost a picture he gives of being, you know walking around being soaked in gasoline and just trying to avoid a spark that'll set us on fire. Um, our enemies are strong. We're weak. We're in a very dangerous position in this world. And we need to be reminded again and again that by ourselves, we can do nothing to survive this world alone. If we really understood our weakness, if we really understood the strength of the enemies, we wouldn't try to be holy and to live this life in our own strength. Um, I think that's why so many people struggle so much with sanctification. uh, That they begin with trying to do it in their own strength. Um, and the Bible clearly tells us you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough to walk this path. You're not strong enough to stay, stay, to stay safe on your own. You need help. You don't have the strength in your own power to resist the enemy. We can't hope to overcome. Um, they're relentless. They're deadly. They're stronger than we are. And so what do you do when you're in a situation like that? Um, you know, the, paint, the picture we've had painted for us, we might be tempted to despair. They're too strong, we're too weak, and so there's no hope. Thank you for that message to close our evening service. Um, well, of course, that's not the message. There's no strength in us, but just because there's no strength in us doesn't mean there's no strength. Just because our enemies are powerful doesn't mean there's not power to overcome them. Um, We are weak. Our enemies are relentless. But the good news is God is more relentless than our enemies. God is more powerful than our enemies. They might attack us relentlessly. But he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Yes, our enemies are strong, and we are weak. They're powerful, and they never cease to assail us, but we have a God who upholds us. And that's what this petition turns our hearts and minds to. There is a Father in heaven who is the help of his people. To whom we can appeal and say, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from this evil that is all around us. And that's what we're praying when we make this prayer. That's what the last part of question 127 reminds us, that we're praying, and so Lord uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies. Until we finally win the complete victory, we need strength to sustain us in this fight, Uh, strength to sustain us in the warfare to which we are called, Um, power. And there's power to be found in the Spirit of God. Um, He has the power to bring into being all it is, He has the power to raise the dead. Uh, To give life and to give it abundantly. There's power in the Spirit of God. And we're praying that the Lord would uphold us by that power. Strengthen us for that fight. Uh, It's His power that assures us we will not be defeated. Um, We will not leave the field defeated. Considering apart from God, we, we look at the fight and say, it's a kill or be killed situation. Um, but when we consider the power of the Lord that's employed on behalf of his people, then we say, oh, then then it's not a killed situation. Um, We won't be killed by our enemies. They will be destroyed by God because our enemies are his enemies. And where God dwells, his enemies cannot dwell secure. With that great promise, a greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. But there might, we might carry around an enemy with us in our flesh, but we also carry around an ally, the Holy Spirit who indwells his people. Um, we might be pressed in by the world and the devil, but the Spirit is on our side. The Lord Jesus Christ is with us and for us. And so there's power there, matched to the enemy's, that we face. And it's such a comfort to know that Jesus is there because he's the one who's already overcome the adversaries that pressed in against him. The world did its worst, the devil did his worst. Uh, every enemy did everything they could think to do to the Son of God, and he overcame. He triumphs. He rules now in glory, testimony to us that this path can be walked, this world can be overcome, and the devil can be thrown down like lightning from heaven. That's the hope in which the people of God live, that God is a God who overcomes and so we always have to think on his strength when we find ourselves meditating on our weakness and the, and the strength of our enemies. Um, I, I lo- always love to think about the prayer of 2 Chronicles 20 when King Jehoshaphat is facing an army that they cannot overcome. He recognizes that they are powerless against their enemies. Um, and when he prays to the Lord in 2 Chronicles 20 in verse 12 he says, O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We, we don't have the power to deal with them. But he knows the God with whom he is in covenant. He knows the God who is for him. And that's the God he addresses in his prayer." He knows who holds the power. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. And he receives a wonderful answer to that prayer from the Lord. When the Lord replies and says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Um, he don't, they don't even need to fight. The Lord wins this battle for them. Um, now, he's not going to answer every prayer this way. Right? He's not going to answer every prayer. He doesn't answer every prayer in Scripture by saying, you just stand there and watch me work. But the principle is always the same. The battle is not yours. The battle is God's. And when that's the case, that's enough, right, to know that there's power there. There's power to overcome. He's the only God who's God in heaven. He's the only God who has the power that is irresistible. Who overcomes by the power of an indestructible life? And that's the hope of God's people. That's the only way you could hope to be over, to overcome in the warfare that you face, is if you can be strong in the Lord. And that's the admonition that Paul gives in Ephesians six: "Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Because those who are strong in the strength of the Lord will stand. And that's why as we meditate on our weakness and the strength of our enemies, the end of the Lord's Prayer calls us in doxology to praise God for who He is and reminds us in the face of evil and temptation who our God is and who He is for His people. Uh, This wonderful doxology that ends the Lord's Prayer, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Um, Prayers often, this was the Old Testament way of ending prayers. You always ended a prayer with doxology, with praise for God. This was a common way to conclude prayer. Just as we begin prayer by reminding ourselves of who God is, we end our prayers by reminding ourselves of who God is. Uh, This was a very common way of ending prayers. And this ending that, that we have in that we have uh, for us probably comes from the the doxology that we read in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11 um, where the prayer has ended, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Uh, The wonderful doxology that ends the Lord's Prayer, that confidence. Um, Why can we be confident for all the things that we've prayed for? Because His is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever. Um, That's what question 128 reminds us of. How do you conclude this prayer? With that doxology, this means that we have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful King, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. We're a needy people. If you didn't know that, write that down. We are a needy people. Um, We have many needs for body and soul. Um, And when we consider this prayer and pray this prayer, we're reminded that we're a needy people. But we're also reminded that we have a God who is more than capable of meeting our needs. A God who is not lacking in resources. Who has an overflowing abundance of resources to meet his people's needs. You have spiritual needs, he can meet them. You have physical needs, he can meet them. Um, Why? Well, because his is the power. He's all-powerful. Um, that, that we never lose sight of, that our God is powerful, but our, also, our God is also good and willing to give us all that we need. Um, there are many people throughout the years who have confessed that they believe that gods that were powerful. We have a God who's both powerful and good, and who says, I'm willing to give you all that you need. It's one of the great differences between the false religion of Islam and the true religion of God. Our confession is not just God is great. Our confession is God is good. And His steadfast love endures forever. The, the, the things that we're reminded of in our prayers is not just that God is powerful to do, but that He's willing to do these things for us. He's shown us that willingness by sending His Son. He's already met our greatest need. He's not going to leave us needing the other things of this life. We have a God who's powerful to give and has promised to give all that we need for body and soul. God will save us because He is our King. He will provide for us because we are His subjects, whom He loves. And His is the dominion, it's His kingdom. Um, that's how we can be assured that our, our enemies will not triumph. This is not their world. This is his world. Um, he will triumph over them all for his people, and he glorifies his name in fulfilling his promises to his people. Um, Howell Jones once pointed out that it's, it's a wonderful thing to know that God's greatest glory is revealed in his goodness to his people. That he has united his glory to our good. That glorifies God. And because we know God will glorify his name, we know that he will do good to his people. Um, It's a wonderful thing to think about. And because this is his kingdom, because it's his dominion, because it's his glory, because it's his power, we can have absolute confidence that everything we've asked for will be given to us. That there's not one of these prayers that will remain unanswered for the people of God. Uh, That God will grant all of these prayers. And that's what that little word amen reminds us of. Um, You can almost see how it would have been tempting to end the catechism on the doxology. As a pastor I thought the temptation had to be high. To end it on a meditation on the fact that His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Um, But I like that it presses on to say, let's instead end the catechism by talking a little bit about amen. Jesus taught us at the end of our prayer to say amen. Um, One of the first things we learn when we pray is to say amen, and you hear little kids say amen. Uh, They know that that signals it's time for the prayer to be over remember once when my sister was a little kid, and the, she thought the pastoral prayer had gone on too long. She said, amen, and she was hoping that would stop him. It didn't stop him. You can't do it, kids. Don't try it. You can't stop him once he's going. Um, but she, you learn at a really young age that that means it's over. <laughs> amen. Now, sometimes you're waiting for that after the sermon. Um, but amen doesn't mean it's over, does it? Amen means something else. Amen means truly, surely. When Jesus wanted to emphasize something, he would end up, he would say, he would begin by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. That, that's just Amen, Amen, I say to you. It means it will truly and surely be. God will grant what we've asked. Truly and surely. And that's what we read in question 129. Amen means this shall truly and surely be, for it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. Um, it, it's, it's the wonderful truth that God's ears work better than our mouths. That God is greater than our hearts. Um, even when we, we feel the amen. Amen. Um, Even when we feel the truth of his promises. Uh, Martin Luther, writing to Philip Melanchthon, once wrote, I pray for you, I have prayed, and I will pray, and I have no doubt I shall be heard, for I feel the amen in my heart. Right? There are times we feel the amen, we feel that 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 will truly be. And there's sometimes that we say, I don't know. There's sometimes we don't feel it in our hearts. And what is the comfort of that little word? God's ears work better than your mouth. God's ears work better than your heart. And he's more willing to hear you than you are even willing to express your desires, to want the things you pray for. Um, He's more willing to give it to to us than even we are willing to pray for them. Um, God is listening far more attentively even than we are praying, um, and, and that's enough. The Psalms tell us that's enough. You just need to know that God has heard. Well, there's some dark Psalms where the psalmist is crying out to God, and he gets to a point where he says, "You know what? That's enough that I've that I've been heard. It's in His hands now, and He'll surely do with it what needs to be done." And that's the confidence that comes at the end of the Lord's Prayer. I'm a needy, we're a needy people. There's all kinds of things I need for body and soul, but now that I'm done, it's in His hands, and He's more willing to listen even than I'm willing to express or desire these things. It's in His hands. um, I don't need to worry. Um, That's the confidence that John expressed in 1 John 5. 14 and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the requests we've asked of him that's why the psalmist can say it's enough that he hears because when we pray according to his will when he hears he answers Nothing we pray in the Lord's Prayer does God say, well, take it under consideration. He says, no, all these things are according to my will. You pray them, you have them. You pray them, you have them. It's a wonderful way to think about the prayer that we pray. The needs that we have, those needs that will be met, they will truly and surely be. And I'll end end with this. But but one Reformed scholar put it this way, if we have this confidence that God hears and when he hears he answers, prayer no longer becomes an uncertain experiment, something merely done in desperation. No, we get down on our knees and we know we speak to our Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us so much as to send his Son to the death of the cross for us. We come to him knowing that. And then knowing that our prayers are according to his will, we pray with confidence. We believe we have the answer. And we rise up calm and quiet and rejoicing, go on our way. Leaving it to him to grant us the precise performance of the petition and practice. But being certain that he has not only heard us, but even answered us. The Lord hears. The Lord answers. When we ask in Jesus' name. What a comfort. So we end where we began. With comfort. The comfort that comes with that little word. Amen. In the hands of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven. How thankful we are that we can pray with confidence. That if we ask anything according to your will. You hear us. And we know that you hear us in whatever we ask, and we know that we have the requests that we've asked of you in Jesus' name. Give us the patience as you work out the precise way in which you will grant these petitions. Give us trust in you uh, for your timing and for your good gifts. But give us that certainty that comes with knowing that you surely hear your people when they call to you. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.